there's so much stuff that goes on in everyone's lives, whether they work in sport or not, that, um, you know, you throw together a hundred people in, in one environment and you're all so reliant on each other to get become successful that you sort of really need to understand and appreciate that people are going through things and, and, and be able to help them through it to, to actually be successful. Welcome to the Find the Gap podcast, where we're going to focus on the health and well-being of the support personnel and practitioners within high-performance sport. This will act as a platform for practitioners to share their own insights and experiences that have helped them to progress to where they are today, as well as being a safe environment which they can touch upon moments of vulnerability and other emotional battles that they've had to overcome in order to be successful. My name is Sam, and thanks for joining me on Find the Gap podcast. The Find the Gap podcast is brought to you by Sustainable Sports. Sustainable Sports is an apparel company designed for every athlete. Every piece of apparel is produced and made from recycled plastic bottles, which at the end of the period of use can be returned to be remade into new apparel. 80% of discarded textiles can just sit there for more than 200 years, which emits a methane, a powerful greenhouse gas to be more potent than carbon. Sustainable Sports look to be an apparel company that uses 100% recycled polyester fabric to help protect the planet. Sustainable Sports understands the difficulties in community-level sports and the struggles that the local clubs have to endure throughout a season to get their players on the park. Sustainable Sports is made up of the individuals who are passionately involved within sports at the grassroots levels. So today I'm going to talk to Ashley Lynch, and Ashley is the head physiotherapist at Western United Football Club. Um, he's moved from the private sector now into the elite sports industry, having done four years of experience at Essendon Football Club. He's a physiotherapist who also has degrees in exercise and sports science and appreciates the knowledge that encompasses the whole idea of high performance. But um, yeah, so not, without any further ado, I'm keen to have a chat with Ash. So here is the episode with him. Yeah, Ash, mate, thank you very much for jumping on this episode of the podcast. How are you doing this evening? Yeah, it was going well. Uh, good couple of the, the days are getting longer in Melbourne, mate, and hopefully closer to the end of lockdown. Uh, get out and about and yeah, get things back on track a bit, I, I'd like to think. Yeah, fingers crossed. Like, I can't believe that we're like the top city in the world that's in yeah, lockdown. No, it's like... a, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty unlucky stat, that really, but uh, it's all, all, for, all for a good, good cause, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. When um, you know, we're thinking towards all our impact towards mental health and what we're talking about in this podcast, uh, it's a pretty significant factor really being isolated for so long. Um, but uh, as you as we'll go into it, I'm sure you've uh, you've been lucky enough to work throughout, which has been good. Um, but just to to get us rolling, mate, would you want to give me a bit of a background on you know yourself? Maybe do a bit of a bit of educational background as well as uh, you know build up to where where you are now. Yeah, for sure. No, I um. Yeah, I was born and, and raised and went to school in, in a little town in uh, Gippsland called Yarram uh, and then and did VCE there and, and then moved up to Melbourne and had had an idea at the time that I wanted to do uh, physiotherapy. But when I look back now, when anyone ever asked me, I'm, I'm not 100% sure like why, not that I you know, don't think that was a good decision, but couldn't tell you why I was thinking it. I, I probably had some experiences with physios and and stuff and uh like the idea of being involved in sport and um 
you know, I was, I was doing quite well at school and, and therefore it all became sort of a, a real possibility to do something like physio or med. Um, so, yeah, that's why I went, I went and, uh, you know, pursued physio. But then I didn't quite get the, the marks at VCE to, to go straight into physio. And uh, I went and did exercise and sports science at Deakin Uni in Melbourne and had a good time there and uh, le- learn a bit. And it looked, probably, probably has helped me having that degree as well because uh, physio is sort of going a little bit that, that way more than, you know, the other way of being more and more about manual therapy. It's probably is more about sort of loads and, and exercise science and all that sort of stuff. Uh, skewing that way more and more so I think that did help me in uh, knowing that now um, and then I did get get into physio uh, after that and I got into some undergraduate courses around the country and also a post, couple of postgrad courses that were shorter because um, you, you lose your holiday periods doing these postgrad courses and I got accepted into Perth at, at Curtin Uni to do my physio degree like first um, and then I moved there, you know, the January of 2007 and then kind of got some more offers back in Victoria and stuff in February, but I was already there. So mm. I stayed in Perth and did my physio degree and um, really enjoyed my time over there. And I've since gone on and done a master's of sports physio at the Trobe Uni here back in Melbourne, which is a lot of that is offline, uh, but also some online comp- uh, on-campus components and some pracs and stuff in leading sports medicine uh, clubs or organizations around the world really um mm. so yeah that was a good course to do and that's uh that's sort of my educational background mm-hmm. yeah cool cool and what about now transitioning to the the, the elite side of things so i know you see i've seen you've been in essendon and in a few private practices yep uh yeah so i worked in private practice for quite a long time and, and tried to always work in uh, practices with uh, like a, a sporting caseload or cohort of, of patients mm-hmm. and also, um, you know, w- what I believe were really good practitioners. So, you know, doing a, essentially a, um, a good clinical apprenticeship as such and, and obviously still learning, but that probably I think helped help me become a better physio by, by working under really good clinical physios early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to a point where I, um yeah wanted to to work full-time in sport um and yeah after having worked in some sort of part-time or casual based elite sport work through you know afl victoria and and basketball and um geelong and west coast eagles in the afl and and those sort of little things and some carnival type work i got my first full-time job in elite sport with the essendon footy club about five years ago it's not a bad role to get for your first one. Yeah, it was a um, yeah, it was a really good good job, and um, the the role itself sort of evolved as I was there. But um, it was a, it was a role in rehab, and I think mm. that's really helped me um, become better. And and I've learned I learned heaps at Essendon, and also implemented some really cool stuff, and and had a good time, and and worked hard, and um, yeah, made some some really good friends and stuff along the way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned before in the first little um, uh, uh, bit you mentioned there about you earning the exercise science degree and then moving on to physio. Do you feel like now being a physiotherapist in a, in an elite setting, it's beneficial to have that, that background as a, an exercise scientist and 
can you also maybe say that a coach can benefit from that kind of degree as well, or a, an exercise scientist could benefit from a few coaching courses or a physiotherapist could do a few coaching courses. You, you get what I'm kind of saying here? Like, um, yeah. do you reckon there's value think, in that? Um, I think you always uh, like value, you have a bias towards what, what you did. So like, I don't think I'm a better physio than someone who didn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think it, it, it has helped me get the jobs that I've got. Um, and it's also uh, given me a greater understanding of other people in the high performance department, what, what they're thinking or, or where their roles bias towards rather than being like a really purely medically slanted individual. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, the breadth of knowledge uh, is, is fantastic and, and any knowledge or any, coursework that or um learning that that anyone can do in in any sort of uh field that's somewhat relevant can only benefit you but i'm never strong enough to say that if you hadn't done it then you're not as good a physio as me or anything Mm, like that okay i get you i get you um now as well i've always wanted to ask this question of physios because I've, I've, it's always been in my head uh that you're the first point of contact for example when obviously there's an injury on the on the field you know and you see as soon as that happens on a football field or on the afl field they rush out and that's the first point of contact um and then the thing that comes to mind is i don't know if you're watching uh if you watch soccer much but the euros um this past year uh, sorry this year where um uh christian erickson went down uh, one of the Denmark yeah. players and the players straight away knew what was wrong. The referee jumped out and knew what was wrong, but the physios acted really, really quickly and basically saved his life kind of thing. Um, but the, the build up to this question is like being that first point of call to uh, an injury or something that an incident that happens on the field, what's kind of going through your head? Like, what have you, have you just rushing up to a prepare for anything? Have you just got to kind of, you know, be, you have to be adaptable? Like what's going through your head when you're rushing onto the field? Yeah, I suppose um, just kick into gear a little bit. You, you don't definitely don't expect anything like that. Um, oh yeah, that's uh, the Christian Eriksen situation is a different level, but that's just the yeah. example that comes to mind. Yeah, I think you just sort of um, you're you're in the zone and you're you're working. You're doing you're doing your job, and you become a little bit immune to what you're actually uh, thinking, but you are you're running out and you're sort of assessing for any really obvious you know uh, issue or, mm-hmm. or pain level or consciousness and, and all those sorts of you know medical emergencies that you've got in the back of your mind but you're probably hoping or you're definitely hoping that there's nothing too sinister when you're running out there <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and then in the, the AFL or now where you're at in the um the a league uh just walk me through just like a daily occurrence for a head of physiotherapy that um you know where you'd be a, a regular occurrences or re- a common occurrences that would be regular stresses for other people it's just every day for you you know what i mean so yeah. through every day what have you really got to deal with that is just a common stress for everybody um the best way to describe probably like a really common stressor that you do become a little bit immune to is that um this, the, the how dynamic the environment is and how um, how you everyone who works in it like really relies on each other so heavily to get through the day and like there's people coming at you from all different angles and you're mm. going at other people from all different angles and 
you kind of get to the end of the day and it's gone in about five minutes and you know before you're really used to it like it's very tiring um yeah and um you know like fall into the trap and i've spoken to other colleagues about it but you, you can get home and you, you're sort of just about you know that you're, you're stuffed you just want to mm-hmm. sort of zone out all completely and you've got obviously you know you want to see your family and your wife or your housemates or you you know go and do something with your mates but it is a like a quite a tiring environment until you become really used to it um, mm-hmm. and that would be something i think that if someone from outside the industry come and spend a day they'd be like whoa like you guys are Sort of on the on the go i suppose mm-hmm. yeah so like do you reckon it just takes time to condition to that i think so yeah you probably just become immune to any job that you do you know like um mm. yeah f- funeral directors probably you know become immune to their job too you know or podiatrists don't really think anything wrong with feet or um you know it's all those sort of things you just get used to it don't you <laughs> that's a very good point yeah that's a very good point um now, being a physiotherapist as well, um, and I can speak from a like a sports scientist and a strength coach point of view that you kind of let this um, middleman, if I'm, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong from your own point of view of what you experienced, but this middleman between the players and the coaches, almost like uh, not a friend in a way, but um, more friendly than, than the head coach, if you, if you get what I'm trying to say. Um, what's your, what's your experiences in being that kind of middleman, uh, dealing with, uh, professional athletes? Yeah, it's, um, oh, yeah, it's a very good question. It's, um, mm. there's definitely a triangle sort of arrangement that goes on there where you have a, a, a responsibility to look after the health of the player. Mm. Um, you also have a responsibility to look after the employer. So, you need to do the best thing by the team and the coach who's trying to do the best thing by the same organization as, as me. Um, yeah, but quite often the, the playing list can vent, I suppose, in the medical room and stuff like that about, you probably just, you know, with experience and, and still growing experience, you just get used to what you should filter or what you should respond to or what you shouldn't or what conversations you should become involved in or what's actually in your lane and what isn't and, and whether you should get involved in the politics of, of the sporting environment. Cause that can sort of chew you up as well. And yeah. Right. Um, and really um, impact your enjoyment or, you know, energy levels or, or whatever as such, if you really wanted to get fully involved in every single thing that's going on inside a professional sporting club. Mm. Yeah, it'd be quite heavy. I'm sure. I'm sure it would be. I'm sure it would be. Um, the the from. Do you reckon there's a different kind of atmosphere when you go from football to soccer? Is there a difference between you know? Um, I'll, I'll go through the. It's more adding towards that question I asked before. But a difference between associating with the players, you know, the banter involved, the befriending them, the getting to know them, kind of thing. Yeah. Probably not. Um, hmm. Maybe a little bit. Uh, I think uh, it depends on what role you have within and what age you have relative to the players. So yeah. if you've got like lots of um, and what your experiences are, you know, outside of your job. So if you've played a lot of soccer and you're now a soccer physio and you're the same age as someone else who's in that team, then you've got a lot in common with the, with the player. So it's sort of it would be remiss of someone to 
you know, have a crack at you for being a, a relatively good colleague or friend of a, of, a, of a player, but you also need to realise what your role is and make sure you don't compromise on your role to the organisation. Yeah, right. Just a, a bunch of bunch of blokes who are in their in their twenties, they uh, typically or their thirties, are probably a little bit more in soccer, and they're trying to have a good time and and live out, you know, a really um, enjoyable time of their lives. Hopefully, and that's what you'd like to encourage as a staff member. Mm. I like that sum up. They're just a bunch of blokes trying to enjoy their time. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what in talking about change then, especially going from A League, uh, sorry, the AFL to to the A League. Um, what's that experience like crossing codes, and what is your what is your kind of like response to change? Not just for I'm just saying for the AFL to A League as an example of change, but how do you react to change? How do you adapt? Are you very adaptable? Do you take time to adjust to change? Uh, do you yeah. accept different philosophies quite simply, or yeah? I think I accept different philosophies um, definitely like quite quickly, but you probably, uh, I could probably say that like, I wouldn't be like the best person at change. Mm. Like I, I like routine and um, being organized and, and with change, you, it becomes chaotic a bit and, mm-hmm. and disorganized. So that's something that you know, I was probably sort of work on a bit, but um yeah, it's it's no doubt it, that it's it's easier to not change. Um, it's just there's less mental energy or um, effort in just doing the same thing. But mm-hmm. I think it does sort of reinvigorate you, and um, it's definitely good for your development. Um, it, it really freshens you up, and um, it's always good to to do different things and uh, not jump around too much, but. Um, do your time and, and perhaps move on. And I'm only probably now starting to think that because that's what I have done again. So you kind of think, oh, yeah, well, you know, that, that was the best thing for me. It should be the best. It's the best thing for everyone, not necessarily. Um, but definitely for me, like I probably went into getting a new job like anyone with a bit of trepidation and probably from both parties in that, you know, I, I hadn't been involved in much soccer before and stuff like that. But now I, um, I see it as a real, you know, positive change that I've made and, um yeah I, w- I would sort of encourage anyone to cross codes now yeah yeah interesting um because from what i've been reading a little about about change just in general and the process of going through change there's um i'm going to absolutely botch the philosopher's names so i'm not even going to try but it, it goes from <laughs> like there's like four rooms of change in a form four room apartment and everybody listening into the podcast, I'm doing the, the finger thing when I say that. Um, but uh, it goes through like, you've got a commitment, oh, sorry, a contentment. So when you're content of where you are and you're happy to where you are. So for example, it's easy not to change. That's the first stage or the first room of this change process. And then you move down from that contentment all the way down into denial. So when you first start the change, you go to denial. Uh, and you officially, you start thinking, oh, you know, I don't like this change. I don't like this uh you know, coaching philosophy. I don't like this new job, whatever it might be, not giving it a chance. You just, then once you get to the next room, it's confusion. So you're confused about the change. You're confused. Like there's, there's, there's a, uh, you've, you've tr- started to accept it, but you're confused about it. You're, you're slowly implementing the change or you're slowly buying into it. And then that finally, once you get through that confusion, goes the renewal and it always works around. So when you get that renewal stage, you then hit that contentment stage again. So whenever you want to go from that change cycle, 
it kind of makes a sense in a way. In every single stage, it can explain where you're thinking of when you go through a change process. Um, so I definitely recommend you look it up. I'll send it through to you later. Uh, what the yeah, philosopher's name is, I've completely <laughs> forgotten it. Um, but I remember his his entire uh, concept or model on change. But I've forgotten his name. Um, how bad yeah. is that? <laughs> no, um, that sounds pretty good, though. It sounds pretty true. Mm. Um, now, I wanted to ask you about your ability to process pressure, obviously, that we talked about you literally charging the field first on the scene kind of thing, but um, and on a big stage, especially in the AFL and, and now in the A-League, do, do you feel pressures at all? And do you feel at any times that you think like, you know, you've got this, this voice in the back of your head thinking like, you know, you know am, I, am I good enough to be here at all? Like some people always have this natural voice in the back of their head. I wonder if that ever um, if it happens no. to you. Not really. Um, I understand like there's pressure there, but also um, how can I put it? I, I don't really. F- I, I feel like uh, I'm probably getting judged just as much in a private practice treatment room. Like it's, um, I'm not actually the performer. Like I'm not the not the player. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like I could really understand that they would feel pressure and have to do a lot of work on, um, you know avoiding distraction and, and staying focused. Um, yeah, right. And I, I sort of have that mentality in regards to my role in that I don't really think anyone's really watching me. Like, and if they yeah. are, they, you know, they probably wasted their money. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm just providing a service that I'm providing in a, in a private practice, um, but it's just a different environment and a treat you, you know, if anything, you should try and enjoy that part of the job and, and the fact that it's a really, you know, high buzzing uh, vibe and atmosphere to a lot of games, especially, you know, in the AFL, some really big games and big crowds mm. and stuff like that, that everyone's missing at the moment. So that's kind of the way I, I look at it in, in my job. And, and that's why I don't feel that much pressure as such. But I think you, in saying that though, I, um, I do feel like working in elite sport, there is like a whole lot of pressure that all staff and players put on each other to sort of try and be the best. And, and it, if you, if you don't sort of become aware of it or you're not, you're not really consciously thinking of it, it can probably get out of control. And, you know, you could, you could be a really good practitioner or a good player or a good coach, but easily made to feel like you aren't good enough because you're competing with, really high achieving individuals and, and that who were, um, you know, hopefully, you know, all really good at their job. And you could, you could be, you know, for example, an average AFL player is, is better than every other player who's played AFL and didn't get selected or drafted, but they mm. still might feel like they're hopeless. So um, yeah, there is, mm. it is a high pressure environment and, and that, that sort of stuff can definitely get, get to you, but the, the stuff on the, the game day and that, that does, doesn't bother me at all. Mm. Okay, that's well, that's well said. I love what you said there. What, what does a bad day look for you then, look like for you? Because you've got to face-to-face with the athletes all the time. So you've got to not, you're not as energetic, for example, the need for being energetic is like a, a strength conditioning coach who's got to run a session, mm. but you're still face-to-face interacting with clients all the time. You're literally, something to, you're literally touching them. Like you can't get much closer than that. But if you're having a really bad day at home or whatever, how do you kind of like, um, you know, move past that and then you deal with your, you know, your, your players in front of you? Yeah. Um, 
Well, I think you just need to, you need to probably, you know, um, work on it. Like say, if you are having a, a bad day or, you know, something's happened at home, or you, you, the, the best way would be to probably be open and honest. And if you have a good enough relationship with the people you work with and the players, just, you know, relay that without impacting on their day negatively if you don't have to Mm. um and you know still fulfill the requirements of your job if if you're up to it and if you're not you should go home and address the things that are contributing to your bad day if that's how bad it is Mm. um otherwise you know a shared experience is is a bit easier and you know the more people that know about it the probably the less stressful it is and the more understanding people give you throughout that work day and you get through because there's so much stuff that goes on in everyone's lives, whether they work in sport or not, that, um, you know, you throw together a hundred people in, in one environment and you're all so reliant on each other to get, become successful that you sort of really need to understand and appreciate that people are going through things and, and, and be able to help them through it to, to actually be successful. Mm. So do you feel like the players are a source of that release that you can help like confide in as well as obviously you've got your, your staff members and your, your co uh, your co um, uh, staff members, but you know, the players something a source that you can kind of rely oh, yeah, or. I think so. yeah. yeah. I think that, um, you know, you just got to, uh, well, why else, you know, I don't really treat a, a player any different to the, bloke who's washing the kid or the ceo or like you know it just depends if you actually rate that person or you got stuff in common with them or they're too young to be your mate or they're too old to have anything in common or whatever it is or that whether they're a player or not that's not really a defining you know decision as to whether you'd confide in them it's just whether you get along with them whether you have a good Mm. relationship with them whether you know much about their life, whether you've seen them outside of work and enjoy their company or whatever, you know, that might be, whether they, no matter what their job is for the organisation. Yeah, so it's not really much about the relate, uh, sorry, the, the label of the person, it's more so the relationship. Probably, yeah, I hmm. think it probably is, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, where can you just give me an example, Nate, in your career where you've felt the most vulnerable as a person? Um. I think you're probably a little bit vulnerable, you know, in elite sport all the time because you, you're so replaceable, even though you'd like to think you're not, but a lot of people want to do my job and a lot of people apply for my jobs and, and these and other people's jobs in the industry. And if I wasn't performing well, then the organization would get rid of me. Um, mm. So you probably always feel a little bit vulnerable working in elite sport in terms of like real career security. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the longer you spend in the game, you know, if you've, if you've worked in elite sport for 20 years and you, you're probably a bit less uh, replaceable than someone who's worked in it for three years, I think, because you've sort of stayed, the, you've done the yards for a reason. Mm-hmm. But um, look, I think the only other, you know, if you were to really feel vulnerable, it's probably when you, you maybe might be a little bit out of your depth with a conversation or an, or a situation, or you might feel vulnerable if you're starting to feel distance from, you know, the powers that be within the organisation, and you don't your values don't align, or you know those sort of things, and you, you're probably better off 
whether you realize it or not, but you're probably better off not working there and, and, and working for someone else anyway. So they're probably the, the times you, you would feel vulnerable. Mm. Well, like, for example, if you're in a vulnerable position in a communication with, for example, the football manager or operations manager or head coach, how, yeah. how do you handle that conversation if you feel not threatened, but you just feel you know, uneasy with that kind of uh, higher figure within the club, what would, what would you kind of give me an example of what that, what that might be like? Um, I think you always resort back to a couple of sort of like values and that's um, more empathy and, and trying to understand what the other person is thinking or trying to rationalise to me mm. would be one, would be one way. Um, and then, Outside of that, I think, you know, education is crucial. So you need to be a good educator to get your point across without being, you know, a know-all or delivering it really poorly. And I think that's a skill that you like, that we could all can continue to work on like, mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you get to the point where you've been empathetic, you've educated the person on your point of view and you still don't marry up, then you probably got to learn to to get on with it pretty quick and and just sort of wash your hands of it a little bit and, and learn from it. And over time, it might make sense to you. And if it doesn't, mm-hmm. well, you've probably got to eventually got to the point where you don't care. Yeah, yeah. Because like I think with with communication, there's the there's two kinds of ways that you go about it. Is the result where it ends with that kind of superficial, you know, goal. This is what we're going to head to. This is the the quick answer. We're going to get to there. Whereas there's the other kind of communication where you delve more into the transformational kind of side of it. So, you know, what, as for example, you a head coach, me as a um, uh, physiotherapist, uh, what does that head coach want out of this? What do, what do they need to get? What do they want? And then delving more so into that, into that transformation of what they want and what they need rather than just getting towards uh, a superficial goal. That makes sense. Different kinds of ways of communication. Yeah, hundred percent. And mm. um, yeah, you've got to get to a you've, you've got to get to an end goal or an action point pretty quickly, and um, you don't want things to fester. Like you want to sort of knock mm. them on the head. So whether you agree or you don't, you you kind of got to move on pretty quick. And that's the one thing about working in a really dynamic environment is you can't like hold on to things for too long because then. It, mm-hmm all of a sudden that thing you held on to has impacted 15 other things because 15 other things happened half an hour later mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just got to get going. So yeah, that's, I've definitely learned that by working mm-hmm. in elite sport. Yeah. It's the, uh, the high demands of the industry, isn't it? Um, what would you say then um, is the most, something that you're struggling with the most right now? Yeah, probably um the biggest struggle for me, you know, working in elite sport is um, like having a, like a really, what I feel like is a really balanced life, like where work doesn't like take over your life. And I think um, Mm -hmm. it's not a massive struggle, but it's something you have to get used to because when you go into it, you've got a set of mates and family who, you might've met through your own sport or your education or your family or your, you know, your travels, whatever it is. And you've got there, all these mates and the majority of them go and get a job Monday to Friday, have two days off in a row and have Christmas and public holidays off and 
yeah, that's that's the majority of the population, and then mm. you essentially end up you're really working in elite sport. You're a bit like a shift worker, and you mm. it's it's kind of like working nights. You, you only ever then those who work nights only ever socialise and knock around with other people who work nights. Well, you know, in my job, you have to get used to the fact that when your mates are going out or your family are catching up, quite often you're working, mm. and then what happens is is you then get a Wednesday off and you're, you're available to catch up with everyone that you've been missing out catching up with mm-hmm. and then they're working. Yeah. So that's something that I really do struggle with because I have lots of mates and family and stuff that I would love to see more often. Um, mm-hmm. But, and, and then what happens is, is you, you end up only knocking around with the people that you work with because they're the only other ones on the day off and they're, also looking for someone to catch up with or you know what i mean so mm-hmm. and, and the longer you work in it you become institutionalized to having the most things in common with the same kinds of people in those jobs mm. um so you, you gain a lot from that though like you you do develop really strong working relationships compared to you know many other industries they they find it probably find it hard to develop like a true connection or Mm. with with their co-workers especially at the moment when you only catch up with each other on zoom and all that sort of stuff so yeah it's not a real like painful struggle but it, mm. it is something that i'd like to work on and keep in mind yeah and you you know you're working with these people 24 7 some days and you want to go grab a beer with someone you kind of get sick of the same person don't you so you kind of want to change up a little bit that's it and it's not not any um you know, it's not any indictment on those people because no, not at all. Love to have a beer with them, but if you haven't seen a mate for two years or something, then you're gonna you're gonna pick that person, aren't you? Rather than the bloke you've seen all day long for the last six months, and you know you feel like you've been having beers with him even when you haven't. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, no, it's 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 a what keeps coming up in those kind of discussions about like work life balance is the response of it's just the way the industry is, which, you know, it's been like that for however long and whatnot, and um, it will probably continue to be that. And if you look at, for example, meeting the next stage, so, for example, if you're an elite, if you're the physiotherapist, for for example, the national team, the Australian national team, um, they're obviously the, the demands for them are travelling internationally being away from the country, being away from family and even having days off might not even be a thing. And it's a complete different step. And it's like, is that the real bar that you want to get to? And that makes sense. If that yeah, is the, the exactly. top job, is that really what you're, you're trying to reach? Um, and it's different for everybody, of course. Obviously, people work hard for that. But it's, um, it's something that people, I think, learn when they get older as well, when they're in the industry. They're like, okay, I've got the, the ability now to say no and to take an opportunity now that I can now look after myself and do what I really want to do. Um, yeah. that only comes with uh, with time and experience, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, mm. and it's the same thing with uh, all these professional athletes who do, you know, finish up playing sport mm. and they, they find struggles. And I reckon half, half of it is the fact that they essentially d- distance themselves from, from any other part of their identity than their sporting teammates or their coaches or their support crew that they finish up and, they've lost touch with everyone else and, mm. and that's not their own. That's sometimes not their fault. It's just the demands of their job. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Mm. Mm. That sounds like another topic for another um, 
a whole other podcast we can do about that i think <laughs> for sure well, what i want to do now mate is ask you a quick fire three questions that i want you to answer with more of a not like a first word answer but then more like concise answers um yep. it's kind of like i don't know like a lame name to it or anything like a quick fire three but it's kind of like that if that makes sense yeah yeah but yeah, i'm, I'm yeah. not going to label i'm not going to be like one of those guys that presses a button and fireworks come out and say quick fire anyway um the so <laughs> the first first question i want to answer you mate uh sorry ask you is um my partner's weird thing. My partner's American and she's come to Australia and I've adopted the American accent in lockdown more than she's adopted the Australian accent in Australia. It's it's weird. So I keep yeah. having like these weird um, instances where I speak or like have an American accent. So I need to stop. <laughs> um, the only reason I say that is because I just did it a little bit then. But anyway, uh, the first question I'm going to ask you, um, have you ever had an embarrassing event in the past that uh, you've learned from or has had like a permanent effect on you? Not so much an event, no. Um, mm. Wouldn't say it's embar- embarrassing, but there's definitely things that I um, that I did like when I was younger that I look back on now and think it was, that was stupid or or silly or um, dangerous. But you know, more you know, thrill-seeking um, stuff. You know, going out and paddock bombs and driving around like a hoon in the country or drinking too much or. Mm putting yourself in stupid situations in the, in cities and stuff when you're young and being drunk or, or just different, you know, uni student type stuff. I'm not embarrassed about it, but it, yeah, I, I still think, geez, I was, I was a dickhead. <laughs> so basically the lesson learned is that you're not a dickhead anymore. Maybe less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, what, um, what would you say if you, you can answer this? Um, you know, you can pass this one if you want to or not, because some people don't um, have an answer to this question. But have you have you ever oversold or um, overestimated the skill to anyone in the past? Um, yeah, um, not probably not. I don't think like it might be a better question for someone else to answer on on behalf of me that I work with or something, maybe. Mm. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, no, you know, no. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, no, that's all good. That's all good. As I always have to have an answer. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the next question I want to ask you is probably the most inc- important one uh, of the podcast, mate. Is what is your best dad joke? <laughs> yeah, geez. Well, I'm only uh, I've only been a dad for about 15, 16 months. Oh, um, congrats, mate. So yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah. I'm actually uh, my wife's having twins in March, April. So we're oh wow, we have three three kids under under two. So we're going to be I better be better get good at dad jokes. I don't really have that many. Oh mate, you better be getting good pretty quick. Yeah, I might have to. Uh, I, I actually don't know the answer to that one either. <laughs> I probably don't. I, I'm probably not. Uh, probably not well versed enough as a dad yet. I've only got through the, I've only got through the bits where you, where you don't really actually hold conversations or try and be funny. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting holding a conversation with a five-month-old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you might get yeah, some good dad jokes out of that, or some good responses. Pretty rough not crowd. Quite not quite there yet. No. no, that's fine, mate. That's fine. But just to finish up, though, mate, have you got any kind of like last-minute advice that you might? Uh, want to give out to any kind of up-and-coming physio students or anybody already in the industry? Um, 
Yeah, probably. Uh, what's my advice? My advice is, uh, you know, only do something if you if you're enjoying it, um, mm-hmm. and and if you're not enjoying it, that's okay as well. But but not forever. So, um, you know, that's like any job really. But I think there's a really good good career as a coach or a physio. You get to work really closely with other other people who are like-minded and and you share problems and you don't you don't sort of sit there and work in silos and that's why i like working in elite sport and i think at the, the you know what, what do they say that the juice is worth the squeeze i think at the moment it is like it's it's pretty hard sometimes to get these jobs and it's hard to sometimes get the balance but the jobs are actually really good mm-hmm. um and that that would be my advice if you know yeah, but by all means you know pursue these jobs if they do appeal to you and, and um, it'll be hard along the way to always completely enjoy it, but, but try and remember the things, you know, the reasons why you do enjoy this type of work. And for me, that's, you know, working with really good people and, and, and in a team. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And the sort of the lifestyle that goes with working in elite sport, the lifestyle is, perhaps a little bit, as I say, a little bit hard to balance with other people's lifestyles and your mates and stuff, but it's actually like you know, pretty dynamic and, and high energy and, and, and the days go fast and you mm-hmm. never feel like it's a drag. It's always pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Good answer. Well, what's next for you, mate? And uh, where's the best way to contact you if anybody wants to get in contact? Yeah. What's next for me? Well, I've only just started this, uh, this new job at, Western United in the A League in the soccer and um, just really get stuck into that. We're actually um, in the throes of you know the season starting soon on the twentieth of November and mm-hmm. the summer season is the soccer. So that's really what's the next couple of years looks like for me and hopefully a bit lo- hopefully longer than that and mm-hmm. and see them develop and and get out to their new base and and big training facility that's about to be built out in the, the Western suburbs. Um, so I think, you know, all of that is really satisfying my work life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, it's just uh, getting, getting, better, a, getting better at dad jokes. Getting better at dad jokes, yeah, and, and, and getting a, a couple of healthy babies come along early next year and try oh, and mate. maintain some sanity as we go and, and enjoy that because that, that sort of comes around quick too. Mate, I'm buzzing for you. That'd be so good. Yeah, thank you. Good on you, mate. Good on you. Um, Well, mate, we'll run out of time, but uh, I've really, really appreciated everything you've said. Uh, I appreciate you giving up the time to have a chat with me this evening. I know it's late and you've probably got an early morning tomorrow morning or have you got a day off? Uh, No, back into it tomorrow. Yeah, be up and going pretty early, so. No, mate, mate, I appreciate the time even more so then. Thank you very much. Um, Uh, Thanks very much. Like I said, mate, hold on and have a bit of a chat after this, but apart from that, we're all done, though. I'll, I'll attach all the little bits of contact on the show notes and everything. So if someone wants to reach out, they can go ahead and do that. But I'm sure that everybody listening will get a lot out of this the same that I did. So thanks, mate. Uh, thanks, Sam. It was a, a pleasure to have a chat. So thanks to Ash for jumping on this episode. Really appreciate your time, even though we had a bit of a discussion late at night. Um, it was good to get his experiences uh, as we described him being a middleman. So between the coaches and the athletes, but also how he deals with the... Uh, 
the common stresses of the dynamic environment that is in an elite sporting sector. So it was good to get like a day in the life of the head of physiotherapy within that kind of elite space. So thanks again, Ash. Um, and again, if anything today has triggered anything with your own mental health, um, please don't uh, don't hesitate to get in contact. So the contact details will be in the show notes. Um, thanks to Stance for providing the music for today's episode and Sustainable Sports for sponsoring the episode. Um, but apart from that, that's all we have time for. So see you guys next time.